Dear Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be in your home, uh, to listen to this music, to be with my family here, uh, this wonderful church. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. We do ask your blessing, Father, on our pastor uh, celebrating his birthday. We want to celebrate him, his, his ministry here. He has blessed all of us so much, and me personally has done so much in my life and my family's life. We want to lift up Pastor Dan to you, that you continue to bless him as he recovers from pneumonia. Uh, we need him back healthy and strong. And now, Lord, as we prepare to open your word, uh, dear God, we just pray you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds to the treasure that you have for us. And we know, Lord, that you will bless your word so it will accomplish everything that you want it to accomplish in each one of our lives. We thank you in the name that is so far above every name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to talk this morning about two words. <laughs> I'm going to say a lot of words to cover two words, and the two words are thank you. Now, we all know what those words mean, but you'll probably admit they get a little overused sometimes, and they kind of lose their meaning. For example... There's a uh, gas station I go to sometime. First, I have to go take out a loan <laughs> so I can uh, afford the, the fuel. But then I get to the gas station, and I, I, I fill up my tank. And then um, when I take the nozzle and I put it back in the pump, this happy little recorded voice says, Thank you. We appreciate your business. And I don't know, but that, that, that perky little recording doesn't make me feel appreciated. What it does is it makes me miss um, being a boy. I used to go with my dad to Bob Bailey's Union 76 station on Hadley Street in Whittier. And when you pulled into that station, Bob Bailey himself was there. And he came out and he greeted you and he, he actually put the fuel in the car for you. He opened the hood and checked the oil and he'd wash the windows. And as a kid, if I put my face by the window, he'd, he'd spray it, you know, like he's going to get my face wet. And when we're done, he would come and, and take my dad's credit card and he'd run it through. Remember those noisy machines, some of you, that, that <laughs> thing, and take out the, the, the receipt and hand it back to my dad and say, thank you, Larry, and he'd smile. So that's kind of the key to these two words, isn't it? You have to mean it, because if you don't mean thank you when you say it, the words are fake, maybe even a little irritating and insulting. A sincere thank you, though, is priceless. Um, about a month ago, I was away on business in Florida. And when I came home, I brought my granddaughter a little toy from Disney, a little Dalmatian toy wrapped in a blanket. And uh, when she took it out of the bag, she had a big smile on her face. She was really happy to see it. And then she walked over to me. She took her little hand. She put it on my cheek, and she looked right into my eyes. She really looked right into my eyes, and she said, Thank you for buying this for me, Campy. Yeah, I melted too. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've ever felt more appreciated in all my life. Now, these uh, two simple words, thank you, have also created a multi-billion dollar industry. Just go to the store and look at how many different kinds of thank you cards you can buy. If you want to say thank you to somebody with a card, you can be funny or poetic. 
You can be verbose or succinct. You can thank them with a picture of a flower or a kitten or just about anything in between. And, and actually, there's books you can buy too. I did a little research I'm going to share with you. For $19.95, an author will tell you how to say thank you after you've had a job interview. And somewhere in those 150 pages, you can find out if you should call, do a handwritten note, or text, or send an email. Do you need water? Okay. <laughs> All right. Excuse me. It's okay. Do you need water? Do you have water? Okay. It's my mom. I've got to take care of her. Yeah. <laughs> For $6.78 this week at Amazon, $6.78, you can buy a book entitled, When You Say Thank You, Mean It, and 11 Other Lessons for Instilling Lifelong Values in Your Children. And for just a few dollars more, you can discover 101 ways to say thank you. If you want free advice, <coughs> I recommend an article at the Harvard Business Review that asks the question, do you really even need to say thank you? So we have lots of options when we want to thank each other. But what about God? How should we thank him? When I was a boy in Sunday school, um, one of my Sunday school teachers told us that if we want to thank God, one of the ways to do that is to count our blessings. And as a boy, the first blessing that popped into my mind <laughs> was the fact that I had a, a pretty nice little neighborhood enterprise going at that age. Uh, we had lots of homes on the street, lots of big trees that dropped lots of leaves, and I went to our neighbors and I would rake their leaves for them. And they would pay me and I would rake in money as I raked in leaves. And I raked in enough money one summer to buy a brand new Stingray bicycle. Three speeds, gold fleck paint, racing slick on the back. It was so great. So that's the first thing I thought of when we were going to count our blessings. I, I, I thought of money <laughs> and how grateful I was for that bike. And I think it's true that a lot of people would say that money is a blessing, especially in America. Back in the early 1900s, there was a man named John D. Rockefeller. In his day, he was the wealthiest man in the whole world. He was also America's first billionaire. One time, a reporter asked Mr. Rockefeller a very interesting question. He said, how much money is enough? To which Mr. Rockefeller answered, just a little bit more. Probably heard that quote. Some of you may remember the bumper stickers and t-shirts in the 1980s that had the slogan, he who dies with the most toys wins. <laughs> you know that one. That was from Malcolm Forbes, a millionaire of that day. Well, I've got a few more quotes for you about money. Oscar Wilde said, anyone who lives within their means suffers from a lack of imagination. Groucho Marx said, this may be the first time we quoted Groucho Marx at church. Do you think, Bill? <laughs> Is it? Okay. Uh, Groucho Marx said, uh, while money uh, can't buy happiness, it certainly lets you choose your own form of misery. <laughs> Will Rogers said, too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't even like. Steve Martin <laughs> said, I love money. I love everything about it. I bought some pretty good stuff. Got me a $300 pair of socks. 
got a fur sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline-powered turtleneck sweater, and of course I bought some dumb stuff too. <laughs> Last night after the service, uh, George Porter, I don't know if you know him, but um, he came up and he gave me this line. He, says, he said, David, it is not a sin to be rich. It is a sin to die rich. I thought that was very profound. I'm going to, from now on, send him my notes and have him add, <laughs> add things <laughs> before I come up here. Perhaps you didn't know this, but the Bible was not written by Americans. So we just heard the American point of view. Let me give you a little bit of the biblical point of view. Uh, the writer of Hebrews 13.5 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Being content with what I have is clear, clearly not an American value. As I've gotten older, I have discovered that I'm sure all you have, that God blesses us with things that money just can't buy. So I would like to seriously count a few of our blessings together. First, our salvation. The blood of Jesus. What is that worth? Uh, just a, a quick story. I was riding in the car um, with an associate who works for this man that we're doing some work for. He's a billionaire. He is a multi-billionaire. That's more money than I'll ever have in my life. And he was telling me the man, the billionaire man, is 70 years old, and the subject of death came up, and he's, he tells everybody, no, we won't discuss death. We're not going to talk about it. And I was in the back seat hearing him say that, and I thought, wow, here's this man that's worth billions. He's 70. He is terrified. He won't even talk or allow anybody around him to mention death. And for me, and I'm sure for you, it's a very comfortable subject. We have a hope. <laughs> our riches are ahead of us. Um, anyway, I just thought of that. What is our salvation worth? What is our blood? What is the blood of Jesus worth? Continuing to count our blessings. How about having the word of God so available to us? We have it as a book on our laps. We have Kindles, iPads, even on our phones. Our family is a blessing. Our friends, this church. When you get to be a certain age, Here's a real blessing. Pain-free moments. <laughs> the older people are laughing at that. The younger people are going like, what? <laughs> You'll see. Laughter is a blessing. An unexpected kindness from someone. Ears that can appreciate music. Eyes that can be dazzled by a sunrise or a sunset. Fond memories. A kiss. I hope when we make out our list of blessings, I hope our list is endless. Because if it is, then we're really paying attention to God's goodness in our life. And of course, at the top of our list is the greatest blessing po God can possibly give us, himself. Some have said the reason we will live forever is because it will take that long to fully know our Heavenly Father. So back to my question, how do we say thank you to a God like this? If you'll turn to Psalm 138, you're going to have a lot of time because I want to talk about psalms for a second. <laughs> I love psalms, don't you? I mean, do you ever feel anxious, angry, or alone? Overjoyed, overworked, overwhelmed? Do you feel close to the Lord some days, far from the Lord some days? Whatever your condition, there is a psalm for that. I'm going to give you a news bulletin. Life is complicated. Life is complex. You can have mountaintop moments where you feel so close to God. You, 
You feel like you're in, you can touch heaven. You feel like you can touch his throne. You feel like starting your prayers by saying, Lord, while I'm in your neighborhood, I, I thought I'd just say I how much I love you. But then what happens? Next moment, you find yourself going down into the valley. And in the valley, we struggle with our weaknesses and our circumstances. Our faith feels puny. We have very little strength, we feel, to get through the day. We feel stressed and overwhelmed, and then God seems miles away. The book of Psalms covers all of these conditions and, just, and any others that you can think of. But interestingly enough, the book of Psalms really wasn't written to tell us about ourselves. The focus of the book of Psalms is God. Now, the book of Psalms was called the book of praises by the Jews in the early days. And the word praise used to confuse me because anytime I met a praise leader or a member of a praise team, they were always singers or musicians. And I am not a musician, and I'm certainly not a singer. In fact, do you know the first verse of Psalm 100? If you don't, I'm going to say it to you, and then you'll, you'll re recognize it. The Psalm 100 verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, for some reason, lots of people quote that verse to me after they've heard me sing. <laughs> I think they mean it as an encouragement. I'm sh I'll take it that way. Because for me, if I try to carry a, a tune too far, I'm going to drop it and break it. But I can still praise the Lord because praise isn't about the music. Praise isn't about the words. Praise is about our heart. The Hebrew word for praise is Hillel, and it means glory in. When we praise God, we are celebrating. We are glorying in who he is and what he's done. We can praise the Lord with our thoughts, with our words, and of course with our songs when our heart is right. Now, most of the time when the word praise is used in the Bible, it is a corporate praise. It is for a group to praise together. The Lord wants his people together to praise him. That's why church is so important. And certainly, certainly we can have private moments with God. It's a biblical discipline. Solitude is a biblical discipline. It's wonderful to get alone with the Lord. But primarily when God talks about praise, he wants his people doing what we do, standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, just acknowledging we are utterly dependent upon you, Lord, and yet we love you so and you are so great and so mighty. Praise is our expression of utter delight when we consider how great thou art. I wish I could sing this song to you, but if you would indulge me for a minute, I want to read you the words of my favorite hymn, How Great Thou Art, because for me it expresses praise unlike any I have found. I'm just going to read you three of the verses in one chorus, but it goes like this. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Final verse. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. 
then I shall bow with humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. If you will devote regular time to reading the book of Psalms, I promise you two things will happen. You will, will change how you look at God and it will totally change how you look at your life. I believe Psalms should only be read one way. <laughs> that is slowly. I believe the words are meant to be savored. This past summer, um, my wife and I got to go to Maui uh, and stay at a friend's condo. And one afternoon, um, as a treat, we went to this wonderful restaurant right on the beach. And the meal was incredible. And for dessert, you know what I ordered for dessert? Black coffee. That was it. And I'll tell you why. Because they served it in a French press. And it came from these very rare beans from Hana. And I can promise you something. It was the best coffee I'd ever tasted in my life. I just was sipping this rich, dark brew, just savoring it. And honestly, telling you the truth, when it was done, I, in my cup, I went like this. And I took the last drop. I really did. To me, that's how Psalms should be read. We should just savor it to the last drop. It was great coffee. Now, most scholars believe that uh, David wrote Psalm 138 right after a major victory. So he was pumped up. He was full of confidence and having a great victory. He was also seeing his divine destiny coming to pass. But even so, he humbled himself and gave glory to God, which is right to do. <clears throat> so let's see how to say thank you to the Lord. And we're going to read Psalm 138 together and savor the words. Psalm 138. I will give thanks to thee with all my heart. I will sing praises to thee before the gods. I will bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. On the day I called, thou didst answer me. Thou didst make me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to thee, O Lord, when they have heard the words of thy mouth. And they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand will save me. And the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of thy hands. I will give you thanks, verse 1. I will give you thanks with all my heart. The King James Version has it translated, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Wholehearted praise. Wholehearted thanks. For God, there really is no other kind. Remember back in Matthew uh, 22, verses 36 to 37, a Pharisee, a lawyer, was going to be clever and trick Jesus with what he thought would be a really difficult question. So he went to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, or all your mind. So God isn't impressed with our words. He isn't impressed with our raised hands and our bowed heads when our heart isn't fully in it. When we say thank you to God, it must come from the heart. 
I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. This word gods as a little g, you notice, lowercase g. In Hebrew, that can be translated one of two ways. It can mean angels or it can mean kings. And we don't really know which one David had in mind, but it really, I think they both work because David is basically saying he's going to praise God up to the heavens where the angels are and before the whole earth where all the kings and rulers of the earth are. Basically, David was saying he isn't going to be shy about letting everyone know what God has done in his life. Verse 2, I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. What does it mean when we praise God for his name? Praise God for his name. It means that we are praising God for who he is. We are praising God for all that he is. We are praising God for being himself. Now, if you have children or grandchildren, maybe you've done this. Do you like to just watch them when they don't know you're, they're, you're watching? Just look at them, you know. When they're, it's so sweet when they're sleeping or when they're playing. Not so much when they're eating. <laughs> but when you just look at them, don't, don't your eyes fill with tears and your heart just swell and love? That's what David was doing here in Psalms. He's just looking at God just becoming overwhelmed by him. I wanted to be more like that. I will bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name. God's name is very important to him and should be to us. All through the Bible, we see God talking about his name, but perhaps nowhere more clearly than in Exodus 27, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And whether you've been to church or never been to church before, you've probably heard this particular commandment. Exodus 20, verse 7 is, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. The New International Version says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Now, most people believe this is a command not to use God's name as a curse word. And absolutely, of course, we should never, ever use God's holy, sacred name as a curse. But I did a little more research, and I learned that this, this saying, you shall not misuse my name, or you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, is primarily telling us not to make an insincere vow in his name or to him. At first I thought, hmm, that's okay. That's interesting. I don't make any insincere vows to God, so I'm okay. It's all okay, that's interesting. And then I started to think about it, and I really got convicted. I thought about times when I've been right here in church with you, and we sing, and just like today, our, the, our song lyrics have, they're full of some awesome vows. Does everybody else hear that music too? Sometimes I wonder, I hear stuff, and okay, good, all right, that's okay. Think about the songs we sing. How about this one? Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. Every. When the darkness closes in, still I'm going to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Or how about the vow, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Or the vow, I will follow, I will listen. I will love you all of my days. So here's what convicted me. If I sing these words to God, but I don't mean them, 
or if I sing these words and my mouth is going but my mind is sort of wandering off somewhere, aren't I making an insincere vow? And along these same lines, what about when I come to serve the Lord but I don't give him my best? I have made a vow, I've promised to come serve, but I show up and I can't give my best. The children of Israel in the Old Testament were commanded to bring their perfect unblemished animals before the Lord for sacrifice. In fact, in Leviticus uh, 23 verse 12 says, On that same day, you must sacrifice a one-year-old lamb with no defects as a burnt offering to the Lord. Well, you know, sometimes the children of Israel were disobedient. And they thought, maybe God won't notice when I bring him. I'm going to keep that best animal for myself. I got this lame one over here and this old one over here and this blind one over here. I'm going to, that's the same, it's a lamb. I'll bring that before the Lord. Listen to what God had to say about that in Malachi 1.8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? When I come to God with less than my full heart, less than my full attention, less than my best effort, I try to let myself off the hook sometimes by saying, well, you know, I'm busy. I'm tired. But God calls it evil. J. Vernon McGee said, I think some of us ought to go to God in prayer on Monday morning and ask him to forgive us for going to church yesterday. I sang the hymns, but my heart wasn't in it. I prayed, but it was a mere formality. I listened to the word of God, but it had no effect on me. I criticized the preacher and others who were there, but I did not criticize myself. God forgive me for going to church like that. Verse 2. David could have praised God for many things, but he picked two. Loving kindness, which also could be mercy, and his truth. Loving kindness and, and, and truth, they go hand in hand because we can't fully know about God's loving kindness without knowing the truth, without knowing the word. And the best way to know about God's word, the uh, best way to know about God's truth of course, is by reading his word. And some have said that reading the Bible should be like breathing. It's like we inhale his truth and goodness and then we exhale our praise and gratitude. At the end of verse 2, David says a wonderful thing. He says, you have magnified your word according to all your name. What does that mean? Well, it means God stands behind every word he says. He backs it up with himself. He never waffles. He never wavers. He backs it up with himself because he is truth. Verse 3, on the day I called, you answered me. On the day I called, you answered me. Have you ever had a problem with a product you bought and thought, well, you know what, this is not working. Well, I'm going to call the manufacturer or the store and, 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 and complain about what I bought. Did it go? Did it go something like this? You know that Ford I bought isn't really running as well as I want. I'm going to call Ford Motor Company real quick and tell them about it. Hang on one sec. Let me make this call. Hey, a Ford Motor Company? Yeah, hi. Uh, may I speak to your chairman of the board, William Clay Ford Jr., please? Yeah, thanks. I'll hold. They're going to put me through. I'll, I'll make it quick. Mr. Ford, hi. Yeah, my name's Dave. I'm a customer of yours here in Yorba Linda. 
and I bought one of your cars and I'm not as happy with it as I thought I would be in a, a full refund? Oh, that's great. Thank you. Where shall I meet you? Oh, you'll come to my house. Great. Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll see you then. Is that how it goes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or how about when you think, wow, Joni, our, this economy is killing our stock portfolio. Please get President Obama on the phone for me again. I just need to talk to him. No, obviously in our society, little people don't get to talk to big people. But here in verse 3, we see that God takes the opposite approach. When we want to talk to the creator of the universe, the great I am, he always takes our call. If you look at the next psalm over, Psalm 139, verse 4. Psalm 139, verse 4 says, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. God knows what we need before we even ask him. And I know right now all the rage is all the cell phone companies bragging about their 5G network. That's nice. We have 1G. We have one God. And he has never dropped a call anywhere in the universe. Let's finish verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me, and you made me bold with strength in my soul. God not only answers us, but he knows what we need. So he gives us the strength to get through our day and do the job that he's given us to do. Okay, one time, <laughs> when my daughters were young, I got this idea. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to build them a little wooden dollhouse that they can play with. So Joni and I went to the store, and I got a do-it-yourself kit to put this dollhouse together. And I got it home. And I remember opening the box, and my stomach sank. You know what it looked like? It looked like they had built the house, blew it up with explosives, and then dumped all the shards and pieces and parts back in the box, threw in some incomplete instructions, and then said, here, you reassemble this mess. That's what it felt like to me. But I, I got out my wood glue, and I got out my vice clamps, and I started to attack the dollhouse. And I think I was averaging maybe one or two successful gluings per hour. I mean, this project was going to take months. So I did what any resourceful man would do. I went to my wife, and, I, and I, I said, Honey, I'm having so much trouble. And she said, How, Why don't you use the hot glue gun? Hot glue. Wow. I mean, all of a sudden, I now had the power to do the job right. And with that bad boy hot glue weapon in my hand, I, I turned that dollhouse mountain into a molehill. I was done in days, and it was actually fun. Okay, silly example, I, I know, because God gives us a lot more than hot glue. But the point is, when God calls us to do something, he always gives us the power to do it. Verse 4 and 5, All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard the words of your mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Now David was not saying that all the kings were going to become believers, just that every king was going to hear about how great God was. Um, don't you get the idea that David lived with, out loud? He just lived his faith out loud. He was shouting it wherever he went. You couldn't be around David for very long without seeing and hearing what God was doing in his life. Again, I want to be like that. Verse 6, For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Let's make sure we understand this phrase, the Lord is exalted. 
we just sang it tonight, uh, today. Um, as always, the worship team seems to always pick the absolutely perfect music to go with the message. And we sang, be exalted our God. We sang. So what does that mean when God is exalted? When the Lord is exalted, it makes all the difference in our lives. When God is exalted, then he truly is my king, my Lord, my master. Sadly, there are believers who don't see God this way. God is not exalted. God is not the most important person in their life. So what happens? At the first sign of trouble, people that do not have an exalted God run. But they don't run to God. They run to whatever else they believe is going to help them. Maybe they run to Jack Daniels. Maybe they run to Prince Valium. They run wherever they think. They run to whatever they believe is more important and powerful than God. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. When I exalt God, God in my life, when I see trouble coming, I can be confident that the Lord is absolutely in control and has power over that situation so I can rest in God's fatherly protection. He regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. In our society, the rich and proud get all the attention, don't they? I mean, the next time you're at the supermarket checkout counter, look at all those magazine covers. You're not going to see any pictures of nobodies on the cover. Like, oh, look, here's a plumber. I'm going to buy this magazine. Oh, and this one has a crossing guard. Let's get that. No, no. In our, in our country, we keep our eyes on the richest and the hottest and the most gifted. But where does God focus his attention? God is far away from the proud and unrepentant, but he draws near to the humbled sinner. God pays attention to the very people that society overlooks because God doesn't go by social standards. Verse 7, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save me. You know, Again, in this country, we spend an awful lot of money on trying to escape our worries and help our stress. Now, David knew quite a bit about stress and trouble. He was an expert in danger, and he said that God will revive us right in the middle of the muck. He said, the Lord himself will join us in our turmoil, and he, the Lord, will stretch out his hand against whatever is against us, and he will save us. That's a good person to have come to our rescue. Pastor John has preached this truth many times, that the Christian life is not free from trouble. Have you noticed that? <laughs> but we're never in it alone. Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will deliver you from your afflictions, all of them? Even that scary one? even that hopeless one? Let's read verse 7 again and see if you can spot what is missing. There's something missing in verse 7. I'm going to see if you can see it. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save me. So what's missing? I'll tell you because I already have the answer. Complaints. There are no complaints here. David isn't grumbling. And if I'm going to be honest, if I was writing this verse myself, there would be some days I would write it like this. 
Though I walk in the midst of trouble, which isn't my fault, and the timing of this trouble is really bad because of all the other stuff I'm dealing with right now, and in fact the situation is totally unfair, and etc., etc., etc. And you notice in my version, I never get to the part where I turn my trusting eyes to the Lord because I'm not looking at the Lord. I'm just looking at myself and my circumstances. Here's this thought. Do you know what quickly reveals whether God is exalted or not in our own lives? It's how we look at our troubles. Do we complain or do we trust? Just like David did. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you, Lord, will revive me because I'm watching the Lord, not my circumstances. You know, when you prepare a message, you're not supposed to be thinking of somebody in the congregation that you really hope hears this message. That's not a good thing to do. And I, I couldn't help myself this time. There was one person that I kept thinking about over and over and over again at this particular passage. And that is my mother who is sitting right there. I'd have her stand, but we don't have time. <laughs> I've known her my whole life. And she has been through a lot. And as I was writing this, I can tell you the truth. I tried very hard to see if I could remember a time I ever heard her complain. I have seen you in pain. I've seen you cry. I've seen you scared. I've seen you upset. I've never, ever, ever heard you utter anything but a praise, even raising me. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know how I will ever thank you, Mom, or thank God for having that lifelong example in my life. Let me close with verse 8. David really knows how to write a climax. Look, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the works of your hands. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. What an amazing promise. It reminds us, of course, of what Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Each one of us in this room is a project on God's workbench and he will not leave us in pieces. He will not deliver us incomplete. God always finishes what he starts. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. You may want to underline that if you haven't already in your Bibles because it's such a wonderful promise. Each one of us is a work in progress and I hope you will please be patient with yourself as God works with you. And please be patient with others as God works with others. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is how long? Ever. Forever. God's love and mercy last forever. He will not forsake the works of his hands. The works of his hands, that's you and me. He will never forsake us, ever. So I started this message by talking about the challenges of saying thank you. And I asked, how do we say thank you to a God like this? And we see in Psalm 138, the answer. The Lord's love and mercy is forever. He answers when we call. He strengthens us. He stays close to us. He delivers us from trouble. He will accomplish his plan for us. And he will never forsake us. In other words, God loves us wholeheartedly. How could we ever offer him anything less than our whole hearts? Let's pray. 
Father, you are the creator. You are the great I am. You are Lord of the universe, and you are our master, our king, our God. Father, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we are in your hands, that we are your project. Father, I just pray as we go from here today that from this day forward, we would be men and women who, like David, loved you and thanked you and praised you and lived for you with all our hearts. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.